What's up, everyone? Thanks so much for listening to our podcast here. A different episode for you to hit on the NFC. Michael Gelkin, excellent beat writer for the Dallas Morning News, has covered the Cowboys for four seasons. Know Michael really well. We've crossed paths in San Diego and uh, Oakland and uh, on the road here now with him covering the Dallas Cowboys. So I think you'll love his insight into Dak Prescott. Really got into uh, his leadership style and uh something really I've never heard before on what makes Dak different than any other leader of any other team. I, I don't want to give too much away, but we get into that. And a little bit of Jerry Jones and a lot of Brett Maher. Can the kicker snap out of a funk that kind of hit everybody? That was cringy, painful to see Monday night, but they'll probably need him out there in Santa Clara against the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional playoff round. So, yes, here is Michael Gelkin, Dallas Morning News. Make sure you follow him at Gelkin NFL. Uh, Just one of the best of the best. Hope you enjoy. We've got the great Michael Gelkin here, uh, one of the best reporters, best human beings in the business, known Mike for a while now. I I feel like we were just uh, back at Raiders training camp in in Napa uh, talking about life. You know, we we shared a couple glasses of wine and a nice meal and... We're just thinking about what 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 we want out of this world. I don't even know if we talked football that much. It was a deep conversation, Mike, that I still treasure to this day. Just a couple kids trying to figure it out. Well, it's I know I don't know if if you were like this too, but you and I are about the same age, and we kind of came up together in the industry around the same time. And I remember being twenty four, twenty five years old, and I don't know, just kind of curious, not like Top Gun, but you kind of want to know who the best is. And you're kind of looking around the league and who's covering it. And I, I remember you, you're, you're moving positions and you're just, <laughs> I read your work and you're just, uh, it was so clear the quality that you do. And then I had a chance to meet you and, and see the quality of person behind it. So uh, the respect, believe me, is, is mutual. <laughs> Very kind of you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. I guess we kind of go back to San Diego. I remember uh, hanging out with you when you were covering the Chargers and I was at Bleach Report and then you moved to cover the Raiders and now you are covering America's team, the Dallas Cowboys at the Dallas Morning News. This is season number three for you? Four. Can I shorten your one? Four. Season four, yeah. I joined in 2019 right before cut-down day. And then so I missed all the training camp preseason and then um, had one year of locker room, COVID for two years, and this is really my first full year, full year on the beat in terms of like combine, training camp, in locker room access. So it's been good. Well, man, you do, you do such a great job. I think I've always admired you. You're just so versatile. Like you've got that, that bulldog instinct to ask like the tough questions and your words can cut like a knife and you get to the point at the same time, your takeout stories are always, you know, impeccable. Uh, you're able to to show the human side of the game in such a unique way. So everybody out there, please read Michael's work. He's on Twitter at Gelkin NFL and people might even know you from, uh, I, I love the movement you started around the fantasy football championship games mm. where, you know, everybody's making money the second to last week of the season. And it was your idea, right? And then you kind of teamed up with Matthew Barry, I think, but your idea, like, Hey, everybody 
winning all this money, why not donate it to uh, some charities for the players that, you know, helped you win your championship. And man, that took on a life of its own a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's been cool to see. Um, I've done it. I think this is my seventh or eighth year. I think it's at least seventh year of having done it. And over the, t- over the course of time, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars easily have been donated to all these different causes. And, um, you know, there's Shriner Hospitals for Children got $50,000 for Todd Gurley, uh, Son of a Saint, which is a New Orleans-based nonprofit organization uh, that specifically helps fatherless boys in the area. Uh, they raised more than sixty-five or so thousand dollars uh, for Alvin Kamara. Uh, and fantasy managers donating his name. And I, what I really like about it is just so organic, where I can't tell you how much money uh, is being donated because it, it's so grassroots. Uh, it's it's decentralized. Where people want to donate, they can donate. Whatever causes they want to donate, including ones not listed, they can do it in a player's name. And it really lays, I think, the the groundwork, kind of the foundation of the playoffs, where, you know, if Annie Dalton a week later you know, throws a game-winning touchdown pass against the Baltimore Ravens, and now Buffalo Bills are going to the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Bills fans are going to donate, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to his cause. So it kind of just gets this, you know, idea or whatever you want to call it, concept of donating to a really good cause in a player's name because for whatever reason they move you, uh, with Damar Hamlin being uh, an example of, of, of that idea. Um, I think Bills fans are just incredible at what how they've embraced um that concept not saying it's it's particular because of me but um kind of along the same line of just you know if you feel moved to donate to something in a way that kind of connects you to that player go ahead and do it so well said and it taps into the the inner good in everybody right i think that's this whole damar hamlin situation where it was so tragic and traumatizing and just chilling for everybody to see but if there was some good that came out of it everybody kind of rallied in a way I've, I've never seen before and donated money in a way I've never seen. And people are inherently good. And I mean, it takes a good person like yourself to kind of bring that out of people through that initiative. So awesome. And married man, kid on the way, life's changing, life's good. Yeah. And you've got the Dallas Cowboys. Apparently it may, maybe a Super Bowl run. I, I don't know. I, I don't even know where to start with this team. I feel like it's life and death every, every other week with them and the, the sky's falling and, and then they're going to win it all. But that's kind of how the Dallas Cowboys have operated the last, you know, three decades, too. So what? take it wherever you want. Um, where are they right now as a team? Is, is this a team that can win the Super Bowl? Boy, is this a team that can get past the San Francisco 49ers is the question. Because that's the matchup Sunday. And that's the gorilla that's been on the Cowboys back since January 16th, 2022. They lost at home, went one and done against the 49ers committed 14 penalties, uh, which was a playoff record, and, you know, just really did not execute well in their own building. Couldn't even account for the sun on, on, a, on a critical play. Um, and so there is this question as to can the Cowboys beat this franchise right now? Uh, the way that the Niners are built, they're so physical, they're so talented up front. The Cowboys just got blown out in the trenches uh, last year, and right now the Cowboys are – they have some real question marks up front on the offensive line, at least, you know, they, they've seemingly just every week. It's, it's like a different combination up there. Uh, Jason Peters suffered a hip injury in Sunday's win over the Buc- or party Monday's win of the Buccaneers. And so it's unlikely that he's going to play, although we'll see as the week progresses. Um, but yeah, it's just, can they match that physicality? But I mean, it's, I'll tell you, Tyler, like this is the game that the Cowboys have wanted. Like that loss just, it, it, it just, push the team, propel the team into its offseason where 
They didn't want, they, they, they felt that feeling walking out of that stadium. They didn't want to feel that again. They knew it was the Niners who gave it to them. And that was just something they talked about in the spring or something they talked about in training camp. And it's certainly talking about now not wanting to have that season or part, not wanting to have that feeling again. Yeah, it was a bizarre game. <laughs> you know, it was re- really difficult to watch. I mean, the miscues from start to finish, all the penalties are referenced, the way it ended, right, with the, with the slide and the time running out. Uh, but I think that's probably what it comes down to is this the trenches. And I, I, I kind of love that. That as much as we think football has changed, it, it really hasn't. You, you've got to beat the man in front of you at the line of scrimmage. And the 49ers, one through 53, are just freaking loaded to the point where they can throw Mr. Irrelevant out there and field a Super Bowl contender. It's it's pretty crazy when you think about it that way. Um, it all comes so down you're... to blood and guts. It all comes down to blood and guts. <laughs> That's right. You like the product placement here. I do. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it always comes down to blood and guts. And uh, yeah. and and you need some more Lee Smiths. You know, somebody we both have talked to and know well. That 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 big burly tight end in the trenches. So are, are the Cowboys tougher than they were then? Um, you know, I aside from like injuries, just like the ethos of the team with Mike McCarthy. Where's the toughness level? Because frankly, with the Green Bay Packers. And all of those playoff disappointments year after year after year, that that was the problem. They would get to these playoff games and, you know, you hate to say a team is is soft. That's a little strong, but they they get pushed around. They get bullied and it happened repeatedly. Um, And I think they did kind of take on the personality of of McCarthy. I mean, this players said the practices, I mean, we're talking six, seven, eight years ago at this point, but he'd kind of cater to the offense. He really wasn't putting his attention to the defensive side of the ball. And it, it kind of showed um, where is he with Dallas in terms of toughness? You know, I think the, the team takes on the personality of its head coach. The team takes on the personality of its quarterback. And I mean, I think in both places, uh, I hear a lot of really positive things from this Cowboys locker room. Uh, I know Dak Prescott, you'd be hard pressed to find a more mentally tough human in, in life, much less in the NFL. And what he's gone through, his adversity, his story, his testimony, I mean, just the way that he galvanizes that entire locker room, galvanizes that entire building. I remember speaking with, you know, uh, a director of rehabilitation, Britt Brown, and he was moved to tears talking about Dak Prescott. And, you know, you guys guys been with the Cowboys for decades, uh, Britt Brown has, but, you know, winning the Super Bowl for, for Dak is the way that guys talk around here uh, just because of what he puts in and, and because of the, the person that they feel he is. So, uh, you know, mentally tough. I think the experience of last year uh, was really good for this football team. And Mike McCarthy made sure that that experience wasn't wasted. He made sure they, they processed it. They made, he made sure that it was applied in training and training and the theme of resilience that the team has carried uh, since days before the start of the season. It, it's, it's really been ingrained in the culture here. So, Going into Monday night against the Buccaneers, I, I honestly I, I can't remember hearing a team so resoundingly in the locker room talk about a week's preparation or a week's game plan. Like they were just locked in in, in a way that they were not last year. And whether or not that's the difference, who's to say? Because this 49ers team is damn good. And wouldn't be surprised at all if, you know, the winner of this game, not to overlook the Eagles Giants matchup, but the winner of this game. On Sunday is is your NFC representative for the Super Bowl. Uh, certainly, the Cowboys are, uh, beat beat the Eagles in their most recent matchup. I'll beat without Jalen Hurts, um, and they've beaten the Giants twice. So, uh, if the Cowboys, I think, will be feel really confident that 
this game is is it. There's no overlooking the Niners. If anything, you have to make sure that you you stay grounded in your preparation. But uh, yeah, I think mental the toughest part of it is the box they check. I'm so glad he brought up Dak Prescott too. I, I've always loved Dak, and and it's all the other stuff, right? I mean, he can play. Um, if if Jim Monas, my co-host, was here, he'd probably be uh, banging his head against a table because they wanted to draft him with the Buffalo Bills and in 2016. He he doesn't lie either. He's not that type of uh, former personnel man where they they were going to take him in the fourth round and instead saw Dallas take Dak Prescott and settled for Cardell Jones, which didn't work out quite as well for the Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills. But um, God, in that 2016 season, he goes 13 and three. Uh, they lose that ridiculous game to the Green Bay Packers, right? Aaron Rodgers, it's Jared Cook. And I mean, I remember covering it, it was just insane. But I, I remember doing a story at Bleacher Report um, the year after, because the, th- the thinking is, is this just a flash in the pan? Is this a fluke? He's a fourth, fourth round picks don't tend to stick long term. And this is to, to your point, and everybody kind of speaking to his mental toughness. That, that's what comes up again and again. Here's what those who know him best said. Uh, his childhood best friend, teammate Marlon Seats. This is not a flash in the pan. What you got last year is what you're going to get. Uncle Phil, we all know Uncle Phil. The people who say he's going to bomb don't know shit. His college receiver, Jamion Lewis, he's built like a champion. It makes everyone go to another level. His college quarterback, Brian, jo- quarterback coach, Brian Johnson, people are rally around him. People like him. That's the stuff that you can't put on a sheet of paper. His high school offensive coordinator, Kyle Wilkerson, the sky's the limit, and he knows that. Not like this is psychology professor, like you, like you've probably written about. He was all about psychology in college. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Cars Cadone, definitely mispronounced that, but here's what Tom told me. I know it sounds like this guy is too good to be true. I've seen media manufactured heroes, and it's kind of sad sometimes because they don't stand up to it. Dak is the real deal. So a lot of times these quarterbacks, like a lot of people will say a lot of nice things around starting quarterbacks because it doesn't behoove you to talk shit about, you know, a starting quarterback in the media. Right. But with Dak, it blew me away how it was just through the roof. It was to a different level. People praise him as a human being to the extreme, to a point I've I've never seen before covering the NFL. Do you see the same thing? And, And why is Dak maybe just wired differently than other, other quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah, it is different. Um, and I, I've been around, you know, quality locker room leaders before, but it's just there's something different with Dak, the way that he can kind of touch everybody within the organization. And I think his upbringing, because he and I spoke at length uh, on this very thing going into the season. I interviewed more than 30 people within the Cowboys organization, teammates, coaches, uh, you know, quick, supporting staff, um, just all the way down the line. And I wanted to write the definitive, like, Dak is a leader story. Cause you hear like Dak's a leader, Dak's a leader, but what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And you know, it's, it's a long story. And so I'm not going to try to paraphrase the whole thing. Uh, but I, I do remember Harold Nash, the strength and conditioning coordinator here discuss how there are leaders and there are plastic leaders. And he knows the difference. Nash said he personally could tell over his years in the league, who are the plastic leaders, the guys who just like to be seen as leaders, but the guys who aren't actually leaders, the guys who kind of just kind of go through the motions, but they really aren't it to their core. There's nothing plastic. He said about the way that Dak leads. And there was an example of, you know, uh, Dak was going to go to a Mississippi state game uh, to watch his alma mater. And Harold Nash has a son on staff. They are probably a son who's a player there. And, Dak before the matchup, uh, you know, Nash approached him. He was like, "Oh man, I'm like, I got my, my, you know, got your Bulldogs this week. 
And Dak, Dak kind of puts you two together and was like, hey, why don't you uh, why don't you want to watch your son in person? And just made room for him on like a plane. And they went and spur yeah. the moment. And like, it was just like this incredible experience. Dak took care of everything. And why? Just because he wanted Harold Nash to, to see his son play football in person. Um, and so like those are the type of things that just like those little, those little gestures and that's kind of a, a grand example of it. But I mean, there's another like, like, touch is really important to Dak Prescott where it's, it's his love language. He believes in the power of touch. And if you look at it on Sunday afternoon, every time either the Cowboys are about to take the field or when they're in the huddle itself or in between moments, you know, pre- pregame stretches, he will like dap up all his teammates, just give them you know some fist bumps along the way, and it's just this mental thing where it's it's psychology as well because like there's a study that, that Steve Nash at one point led the NBA in touches, not assists, but touches, and it was what he was how he was touching his teammates and like it was out of Berkeley and they defined how you, how they were touching you know what what defined is is it, is it you know back pats is it you know you know fist bumps hugs you know all, they, they broke it down and categorized all different types of touch between athletes and found that Nash not only led the league but there was also a, a correlated relationship between teams that touched more often and their actual success on the court <laughs> and so get out of here and no one no one yet and I think this would be a fantastic assignment and someone in the Cowboys should do it if not a reporter. Perhaps one of us should do it where you, you go to a game and from the moment Dak takes the field for pregame warmups all the way through the end of the game, just count the number of times he touches a teammate. And so it's going to be at least 10 times before every drive because everyone in the huddle and then it's just, you know, from that point forward on the sideline and all that, um, it's probably it's, it's, you know, several hundred times a game. And so that part of his leadership is just interesting. It's, it's that nuanced, it's that thoughtful, but it's also that organic where it doesn't seem like he's trying too hard. It's just him being him. And so that all of that is part of it, not to mention his vocal leadership, um, which John Fossil, a special teams coordinator, at one point put on a Ray Lewis level in terms of something that he said into a, a game uh, years ago. Uh, it's just, it's all there. So he's he's a total package. And it's unfortunate that in some respect, he's a Dallas Cowboys quarterback because he's going to get talked about because he's merely the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, but this is somebody in, if he was playing for the, you know, Cleveland, wherever, wherever he may be, he would deserve to be talked about for a lot of reasons that I don't think don't get discussed because it gets distracted, this whole Cowboys mystique and national obsession over them. So perfectly said, Michael. I mean, that's amazing. I had never really thought about the power of touch. Like my mind went back to uh, all of our like first dates with a girl, like in middle school or something like you're, you're in or college. Grade. Or, co- or college, right? A different kind of co- different kind of touch, maybe when you get to college. Yeah. I'm thinking like being at the movie theater, right? And you're you're young kid, maybe you're sixth grade, and you're watching a movie. And remember sitting there next to a girl, and it was like you're terrified to say anything, but your hand was like on that armrest. And if you could, if you could just make a little physical contact, hand to hand, like just a little bit of a touch, it was like it broke the ice on everything. Oh, you, yeah. you knew that she liked you, you liked her. It was reciprocated, and then and then you didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe you get a kiss on the cheek. Who knows? But uh, it all starts with that that element of of touch, just that physical contact, which it's uh, an imperfect uh, comparison, but I can see how it would help a football team. Yeah, right? it, 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 it's funny because when he was talking about it. We were talking maybe like a 14 minute conversation, like in the cafeteria of the Cowboys facility. And he's talking about touch. He's talking about all these other things. We're moving on to different topics. But over the course of our conversation during these 14 minutes, Dalton Schultz 
came by, and I want to think it was another teammate, Tyler Biosh, maybe came by, and each of them, what do they do when they walk past Dak? They touched him or they hugged him. They said <laughs> something behind it, but they, 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 you could just tell like what he puts out is, is what he gets back. And so it's all part of the culture and it all kind of circulates around, around Dak here in Dallas. Awesome. That, that's a great story. And uh, that, that can matter this, this time of year. I feel like it, it, it's going to take a little something extra and he, he has it and he was amazing against Tampa Bay. I mean, flawless. That's what's as sharp of a postseason game as you'll see from any quarterback. So just in terms of the X's and O's, the offense, um, what scenario is in your, in your mind that plays out that leads the Dallas Cowboys upsetting the San Francisco 49ers? Is it, you know, leaning on a certain player? Is it throwing to a certain player? Is it uh, somebody on the offensive line needing to, to deliver? I don't know. Like what, what, what is that scenario in your head? I think it starts with the Cowboys defense against a quarterback, however impressive and Brock Purdy is still, you know, new to this thing, relatively speaking. And that is, you know, can they create takeaways? Can they make him uncomfortable? You saw with, you know, I thought maybe one of the best defensive performances the Cowboys have had all season just came against Tom Brady. And Micah Parsons was everywhere. He batted down multiple passes. He was lining up at, you know, Y9 on one side and then on another. He'd be on the seven and he'd be inside linebacker. I mean, they were just moving him around. And his pressure, you could feel it from the very start, the very first play is, is, a, is a tackle for a loss. And so I think Micah Parsons and this defense just needs to continue to stack performances and even raise it to another level. Uh, because offensively, you know, this run game, although Tony Pollard had some nice, you know, reps this past Monday night, overall, they have not been able to get it, get it going really now five games since Terrence Steele, their right tackle, suffered a torn ACL. Uh, they really, really miss him. And Tyron Smith has made this really selfless move from being a guy who's a, a pro football Hall of Fame level left tackle. He's playing right tackle for the first time since his 2011 rookie season. And he's doing it after more than a three-month hiatus because of a hamstring tendon surgery. So he's still getting his feel and getting better by the week at right tackle, but it's a process and tight ends and all that. It's just not quite where it needs to be in terms of running the football in January. So I think for the Cowboys to win, it's probably going to have to be a tighter type of contest where they can contain the 49ers offense and maybe set up the offense in some short field situations. And, uh, you know, it's nothing sexy turnovers, defense, and, and, and a kicker who's got to overcome four missed extra points on Monday night. That was so uncharacteristic of Brett Maher. He's, he's one of the best kickers in the league. He missed one extra point. Well, he missed during the regular season, three extra points, but two of those are blocked. So truly on his own account to represent him, he missed one extra point and he missed three field goals all season. Two of them were from 57 yards. And so this has been one of the most rock-solid kickers in the NFL. And to see him go from that rock-solid to that rocky so quickly, it was unimaginable. And the Cowboys, it seems, they're going to stick with Maher going into this game. But I just think this is going to be a real test uh, for him. In, in a game where you know you, you were able to get away with conceding four points to a Tom Brady-led team, which there's been many times over Tom Brady's career, we can't say that, is a, is a, is a winning formula for, for someone. Uh, but to, I, it's hard to imagine the Cowboys can afford to leave points off the scoreboard uh, in the kicking game against the 49ers in Santa Clara and expect to get away with it. So that's all to me, uh, kind of a big important part. So as much as we talk about Dak and all that's important, he's got to, you know, continue the level at which he performed Monday as well and, and avoid turnovers that have been an issue, not just for him, but this offense, that's where my mind goes first defense, special teams. 
did it look like he saw a ghost after the game? What was it like talking to Brett Maher after all of these his texture points? What was his demeanor? You're, you know, you, you know the human condition better than anybody that covers the NFL. What, what was that interaction like? You know, he, I, I've been impressed because I've seen, I think I've seen two Brett Maher's. I've seen Brett Maher, who was with the Cowboys in the 2018, 2019 seasons. I caught him on that second year when I first joined the beat. And he, I think, didn't have a really, you know, super healthy relationship with his own need for an improvement where you, you talk to him after a game and all he, get, all he gave back to you was confidence in his ability, confidence in his abilities, confidence in his abilities, even when he was, you know, really inefficient from field goals at less than 50 yards. He really struggled in that, in that you know, 40 to 49 range. And Cowboys ultimately moved on from him. And then he, they re-signed him in training camp this past summer. And he just seemed like a different version of himself. And all, all these imagery exercises that he does with like a mental conditioning coach, uh, for years had really kind of paid off in experience. He had some success last season uh, in New Orleans. And so he just seemed like he was better equipped to handle all the rigors that come with the NFL, including uh, a, you know, a patch of struggles that really hadn't shown up until you know, the biggest game to date of the year. And so on Monday night, late in the evening after that game in the locker room, he held court where all these reporters and cameras were asking him questions and I mean, he didn't have to do that. He could have just took a shower, bailed. Tyler, we've seen that before. Some guys don't want to talk after bad games. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then after that round of interviews concludes, another group of reporters, one of I, – I was part of this group, kind of awkwardly shuffle around his locker because we missed him. Mike McCarthy was going on. There's other things happening. It's, it's great, you know. And Maher and the PR staff, you know, they, they both could have bowed out on this one. but. Brett insisted, like, he's like, no, I'll talk to you, Mike. I'll talk to, you know, in, in NFL network camera, like I'll talk to you guys. And he talked for another, like, you know, answered every question, which is another two plus minutes. And I listened back to that original interview that he did the first one and the questions were pretty much identical. And so he just went through it again, head high, said he was happy for the team, but he knows that he needs to be better for the team. And, you know, I, I thought he handled it as well as anybody possibly could have, of course, how ultimately he handles it, we'll see on Sunday because that next game is more important versus your first round or second round of interviews. But everything I've seen from Brett Maher is he's just so much more equipped to, to handle this. He's mature, he's experienced, he has a backbone in terms of his routine. And special teams coordinator John Fossil is incredible uh, by all measures. So yeah, the best. We'll, we'll the see. Best. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. But I, I, I was really impressed with the way Brett Maher and really his whole special teams group, entire team, but uh, special teams. And I, I even told them that days earlier, um, the way that they, they show accountability, be it Devontae Turpin after a muff punt, be it uh, the lawn snapper after a hold, you know, Brian Anger after a punt, he doesn't quite get, they all are, are willing to talk and be open about it, which, you know, you, you, you appreciate as a reporter. And I, I think as a fan, it's the respect they show to, to that process and, and, and media is a respect they're showing to fans as well because of that accountability factor. Love it. You're you're so right. I just wonder what's going on between his ears. You know, as it could be real. Maybe he does overcome this. I'm thinking back to covering the Packers with Mason Crosby, and he had a really rough stretch, um, missing field goals, missing extra points. That's the other thing about it too. Like maybe if they would have lined up for a field goal Monday night, he just drills them. Maybe it was just an extra point thing. Who knows? His kickoffs were good, right? Um, but Crosby had the benefit of an off season. And it was that off season that the Packers signed Giorgio Tavecchio. God bless Best. him. Love Giorgio. Him. You, you cover Giorgio 
with the Raiders too, right? Bella persona. He's a terrific person. Yeah. <laughs> Probably top I five trust. human being to ever play football that I've ever come. I just, the best. Um, he and I would God, speak I in Italian you. to each other in locker room after games. Uh, we had a great time in Oakland. Uh, it was, really? It was and he's, he's fluent and I barely speak a lick, but, uh, I can, I can understand more than I can speak, but it was, it was, it was enjoyable. Yeah. He's just a wonderful person. Uh, but anyways, uh, good for you. Cause I took Italian for a semester and, and I, I, I can't tell you one sentence. Literally yeah. took the class in college and I, I don't remember one thing. Sorry, mom and dad. Nothing. Is your wife Nothing. Italian? She is. Yes. Yes. She Wait, can't speak Italian, Italian, but she's very oh. Italian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- the Pascuzzi Massolino. So pretty Italian. That, that combination. Yes. All right. Where, what the hell was I talking about? Okay. We're talking, so the pack. <laughs> we're talking kickers, but I, I think that's what happens you, with Giorgio. You get thinking about Giorgio Tavecchio. You don't know where your mind's going to go. <laughs> he's the best. But I, I think there, there's one part that's worth talking about when it comes to Brett Maher, kind of put a bow on the, on the kicker conversation. And that is his routine, where if this is happening to, you know, a 22-year-old rookie who just missed four extra points, he's the first player since the statistic was individually tracked in 1932 to miss four extra points in a game. I think that 22-year-old handles it a little bit differently than Brett Maher. You know, he's in his 30s, and he's got a really good routine to fall back on. And so his routine is that he'll get – images of what the sight lines look like in terms of the upcoming game. So Brett Maher knows what it looks like on the sideline at Levi stadium in Santa Clara. He knows when he's on the field, what it looks like behind the goalposts. Like he knows all these things going into it. He knew, he'll know what the weather is, the wind, all of that. And then he does these imagery exercises. So he's in his hotel room and for 30 minutes, so close his eyes, he'll put headphones on like noise cancellation headphones. And for those 30 minutes, He'll just see his routine. He'll see himself on the sideline. He'll see himself step on the field and kick uh, from different distances, different mm. situations, so that when kickoff time comes and the game is here, he's already done it. Whatever situation is going to happen, he's prepared for. Now, some things happened in Monday night. It's a whole conversation about <laughs> K-balls and whole procedures and blades of grass. That through maybe maybe contribute. I don't know whatever it may be. I'm not going to make excuses for what was unconscionable in, in terms of four extra points, but I think he's got a routine of, to fall back on that could serve him well. Whether or not it's enough, we'll see. The only evidence we'll have is is the future of what's to come. But um, I think that that will no doubt help Maher uh, moving forward. My concern, and you know better than me, you're in there every day. I'm for, I'm you know here in Western New York and tapping into the Mason Crosby experience. Mason had that benefit of a full off season, bringing in Giorgio Tavecchio. They had a heated competition, all training camp. I mean, Giorgio was fantastic that camp. Um, you could tell Mason had a stronger leg, but I think Giorgio actually made more of his kicks. Uh, but Crosby won the job, completely turned his career around and, you know, played another decade. I, I just wonder on a short, not just a week, a short week on the road. Can you just snap out of it that quick? I mean, there's, this NFL season, as, as Dan Campbell likes to say on Detroit, it's a freight train coming, man. It's that next game. It's right around the corner, ready or not. I don't, kickers are a weird, it's a weird, weird species. Maybe he can just snap out of his funk and he'll be fine, but I'd be, I'd be a little concerned. I mean, if, if we were just going to emphasize or empathize with it, like if, if, imagine it was you or me who just missed four extra points in a playoff game, a team, everyone's counting on you, everyone's looking at you, everyone's noticing you, talking about you now. And then go back out there. I mean, that's you got to be pretty mentally tough yeah. on a short week 
oh. to, to, to overcome that. Everybody's um, watching space, you. You know everybody's pressure. watching you. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, having written a, that story about Maher early in the season about, you know, what's the difference between this Maher and the 2019 Maher and going into the imagery exercises. I spoke to his mental conditioning and coach and all that. You know, you 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 you, you walked away from that experience of reading about it and learning about it to say, okay, you know, Maher is really mentally tough. But this game... You know, of all the tests that are going on between the 49ers and the Cowboys, there is one man's internal mental toughness that ultimately could decide the game, and that's fascinating. Well, I've already kept you longer than I uh, told you you'd stick around, so thank you, Michael. But I do have one more for you. Yeah. Because I just got to know that that's podcast. It doesn't even have to be podcast friendly. You can just let it rip. You know, it doesn't matter. Say whatever the hell you want. The absolute batshit craziest story you've ever heard about Jerry Jones. (laughs) <laughs> as as uh, we heard here right a uh one former cowboy great called this a morally corrupt organization a little strong but uh the the partying lifestyle i mean he's still partying pretty hard uh at his age which i guess is pretty admirable but uh, i'd imagine you've heard a few things ah man i'm just i'm honestly i'm not trying to dodge it but i wish i had like a story that came to mind where immediately it was like Oh boy, you know, here's I got a jury one. For, for you got to show up there in the morning every day, so it's fine. If, if, well, if it's, you it's not that, it's not that. <laughs> I, I honestly, I'm just trying to think of, and I, I really don't have. I really, I really wish I did, Tyler, and I would give it to you. We've come a long way we, from Napa, from San Diego, Oakland. I'm not cheating you here, but yeah, I, I, I think I wouldn't be. In, I w- it would be disingenuous for me to think of something that doesn't really feel like a good Jerry Jones story, but I will. Okay. I will think it over, and next time we we chat, I hope to have one for you. Maybe just go uh, incognito to one of these parties, you know, and get a disguise. Maybe you know, shave your head and throw a mustache on. Perfect. Yeah. Work your way in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much, dude. Great to see you. Congrats on everything with work, obviously, but uh, more so with, with life, you know, getting married, baby on the way. Exciting times for Michael Gelkin. Appreciate you, buddy. Have a great one. You too. Appreciate you.